Hello, this is Delaney Rustin, MD, with another episode of Finding Mental Health. Let me start by asking you a question. What did you learn about mental health or mental illness in school? Chances are you didn't learn much because schools don't have mandates to teach such topics. But what if they did? Today we'll find out. We're going to talk with Penny Freeze, who holds a doctorate in fine arts and has spent many years bringing mental health education into elementary, middle, and high schools. She was influenced by her family's struggles with mental illness, and in fact, it was with her daughter that she developed Red Flags, a curriculum about mental health conditions that has been used in schools throughout the United States. Penny, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about your family situation, which has had its share of mental health challenges. Right. Um, so my husband is a psychologist um, and a, a very passionate advocate for people with mental illnesses. He also has schizophrenia. And um, fortunately for us, his schizophrenia is very well managed and has been for about the last almost 40 years. We have four children. Um, because he was a psychologist, we knew kind of what to watch for. And um, unfortunately, all of our children are diagnosed with a major mental illness. But um, fortunately, we could um, got, we got them diagnosed and into treatment when they were uh, preteens or teens. And so it's all very well managed now. They, um, they're young adults. They have um, all finished college. Um, they're working, having families. And so while they're still on medication, they're doing very well. Mm. And with your husband, Fred, who I'm very honored will, will be on this show, tell me, he was hospitalized uh, several times with his schizophrenia, and, and did you have children at, during any of those times? No, I didn't meet Fred until 10 years into, after his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And um, by that time, um, he you know, was doing very well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was not around during the early years when he was in and out of mental hospitals. And with his illness, was there any particular crises that did happen when the children were growing up? You know, not related to the children. He he will um, become, occasionally he will become symptomatic. Um, but that also, fortunately, he is able to take medication. He responds to it. Um, he did have, a, I would say, a couple of breakdowns while the children were growing up. And um, they, they were not traumatic for us. The, the only response as a family was that, particularly when the children were younger and didn't know exactly what was happening, we would just say, you know, that Daddy had a nervous condition, and um, if friends came over, they should play outside. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then later on, um, by the time our youngest was seven, I think, um, he had been open about his um, illness, and um, so the children were well aware of it, and fortunately, um, it was not traumatizing. There were no traumatizing events for them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how old or how far were you in your marriage when Fred decided to become open with his illness? Let me see. Uh, we were probably married about 10 years, 12 years maybe. Was there an initiating factor for that? You know, it's funny. Um, I had encouraged him to be um, open about it. He was concerned because of stigma and, you know, that he might lose his job and that sort of thing. But he was at an APA conference. He was giving a presentation, and um, he just used the word us instead of them. And I guess it even kind of surprised him. And then there was a follow-up uh, article in the APA Monitor, uh, which is their local trade paper, that uh, half-page article with picture, and I thought maybe our lives were over. And, but letters of support came in from everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so that was the wonderful thing, is that... People were so happy that somebody was willing to talk about it and somebody for whom it was not the end of their life. They were doing well. And this was the American Psychology Association? Uh, Yes, Mm -hmm. American Psychological Association. And how old was he at the time? He would have been at 49. And what was his role in psychology? Was he practicing or doing research? He was director of psychology at our mental health uh, local mental health hospital. With the word schizophrenia, has that ever uh, bothered you, the word? (laughs) Fred likes to say, well, at some point in his life, he did graduate to schizoaffective disorder. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I think we don't know enough about these disorders Mm -hmm. to fully understand um, the diagnosis. Um, There may, in fact, be different diagnoses. Um, and But the other thing also is that he went into treatment right with his first break. And I think that makes a huge difference when people get treatment right away. Um, his father was a physician, and um, he was able to get care. Now, the care wasn't that great, but it was care. Mm-hmm. And um, it took him a while to be able to fully accept that that's, he did, in fact, have the disorder, but um, he thought he, you know, he had to be in treatment because he was told he had to be in treatment, So, um, and he accepted it. And so, I, you know, I think that makes a big difference, um, whether or not people are in treatment, how early they got into treatment mm-hmm. before the, the illness ravaged them. Well, I think that's a really great point, Penny. On a, another note, kind of a, a personal note, with my uh, now husband, when we were dating, he, very difficult for him, but confided in me that he was worried about getting married and having children because mm-hmm. of my father's mm-hmm. schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I wondered what that discussion about having children was like for the two of you. We did have that discussion. Um, by that time, um, Irv Gottsman had published his famous graph about the probability of one, you know, partner has schizophrenia and the other does not in their family. You know, what are the chances? And we had a 13% chance. But Fred was doing so well. And we thought, you know, by the time we have children, um, 
if someone should come down with schizophrenia, it would be, um, the chances would be, you know, good that they would have better treatments, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, so we were watching for schizophrenia, and all four of our children were initially diagnosed with um, clinical depression, and our youngest now has a diagnosis of bipolar. And tell us which one of your children influenced. Uh, is Claire? It was Claire. Claire, yeah. tell us about Claire. Okay, so Claire is our middle daughter, and um, she was um, she was always a wonderful child. But um, she, there were some little things, neurological, soft neurological signs, even from infancy, that something was going on with Claire. So she was uh, finally diagnosed in sixth grade with major depression, um, and it took us in those days, they weren't diagnosing children with this, and there were carve-outs for insurance and all of that. So it took us about a year to get her stabilized, and once she was stabilized, so that would have been seventh grade, um, she never has slept well, ever, even today. And so in the middle of the night, she was crying in bed, and I went in to check on her, and she said, you know, Mom, there are so many kids who are just like me, and no one is helping them. We have to do something. So um, I was teaching at Kent State, and I went over to the library to see what I could find. She was concerned about a couple of friends in particular, and... um, I went to find, you know, what I could on childhood depression, and honest to goodness, there was nothing out there. And this is what, about 20 years ago? Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, this would have been in around 91, 1991. And um, so I came back and I said, you know, sorry, honey, I I wasn't able to find anything. And so about a week (laughs) later, middle of the night, wailing and crying again in bed, and she goes, Mom, we have to do something, and we have to do it now. So I like to tell people I got involved in this because, not because I, I mean, this isn't even my field. My field is theater. Um, but I got involved in it because I knew that child and I knew I would not get another good night's sleep <laughs> until we did something. <laughs> so uh, Fred and I had, we had a Talking Heads video out that somebody had done because he was already public with his illness. And it had, you know gone all over because people just weren't talking about this. And um, so I asked her if she'd like to make a video, and she said she would. We had no idea how to make a video, but um, we, <laughs> there's a long story with this, but we, we did finally make a video. We called it Clear Story. Um, she helped write it, and... Um, I would then amplify, and then she would look at it, and she would go, Mom, nobody talks like this. <laughs> and she would put it back into kid language. And then, um, so we got some funding from Mental Health America, which is how you got that, that name, mm-hmm. or through Mental Health America we got, we got funding. And uh, we made the video, and we called it Clear Story, A Child's Perspective on Childhood Depression. And... Um, they started to use it in their uh, suicide prevention classes. And this is what we found out. It took us about a year and a half to two years. 
when the, the instructor from Mental Health America went into the classroom and um, presented the material, the teacher from the classroom went down to the lounge. And I don't blame the teacher for that. It was well-deserved. But they did not hear the material. And the children, we were not telling them anything, any symptoms that they were not already aware of. Mm. They had seen it in their friends. They knew it in themselves. What they didn't know is that they had options beyond killing themselves. And so um, they would think about it for a couple of days, and then uh, they would go to their teacher and say, I feel like that girl in the video. And the teacher would go, no, 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 that's just adolescence. And the child would not get help. Or if the parent was called in and they said, we have some psychiatric concerns about your child, then you know what happened. They hit the ceiling. How dare you label my child? There's nothing wrong. And um, the child did not get help. And so it became abundantly clear to us. If we did not involve the entire school community, we were not going to get help for children. So um, we went to the state um, Ohio Department mm-hmm. of Mental Health. We were invited to do an in-service there because by that time we had become the poster family for mental illness. And um, so I challenged them that by the year 2000, this was in oh, the end of 98 maybe, that by the year 2000 every school in Ohio, every middle school would do a unit for kids on depression. Um, they would do something for parents every year on depression, and they would do something for teachers every year on depression. And that was how the program got started. It turns, wow. out, turns out that they had some prevention money, and they ran, we ran a pilot on it. And um, the, I think it was either in 99 or 2000, I think probably in 2000, um, the state funded this program for all Ohio middle schools. And so since then, have they gotten a unit? Is it in class? Is it like a session in a health class? or? Well, the, it's designed for health class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around the state for 16 years. Um, the Ohio Department of Mental Health just became the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addictions, and they stopped funding it because all of their prevention money goes into addictions. So um, that was one of the reasons that we decided to become a nonprofit. And Mental Health America was having its own problems, and um, it was uncertain whether or not they were even going to survive as an organization. And then all these shootings happened. And it was at that point that I just said, you know what, this program cannot die. I, I have looked, uh, no, it has evolved a great deal in 16 years. Lots of wonderful input from teachers mm. on the yeah. kind of information they need, how mm-hmm. to do it, this sort of thing. But um, um, they, they, it just became very clear to me that we had to keep the program alive and we had to have a nonprofit in order to do that. And so we have become a nonprofit. I've been really interested in the issue of why we're not teaching more about mental health and mental illness to students. And tell me about it. And and one one thing I'm wondering is that is there pushback from schools and higher up because it will indeed 
um, enable and, in fact, uh, you know, motivate children to come to the counselors and to talk about mental health issues in themselves or their family. And maybe schools are worried that it's going to overburden what's already such a limited resources with the mental health count- with the school counselors. Delaney, I have some really. I mean, I've I've had 16 years to think about this, and I don't think we have not gotten pushback from counselors. They are desperate for this material, and the, what we learned from the nonprofit. I mean, the we we do this in middle school because it is the last opportunity for all kids to have the same schedule. So we want to know that all kids are getting this information. And um, we, we never, I, I'm honest to goodness, I don't think I have ever gotten pushback from counselors. They really, they see this all the time. They really want this information to be out there. Um, when we designed this program, we used symptoms of depression so it wouldn't be scary. We're not trying to diagnose Depression is very common in children. Um, its symptoms overlap with other disorders, so it's not just that we're just doing depression. Mm-hmm. And we are certainly not just a suicide prevention program because one of the problems in this country is that mental health is crisis-driven. And there is no reason for it to be crisis-driven. We can recognize symptoms before a child is in crisis. So... Here is what I think has happened. There is a moderate amount of fear that um, they will be overwhelmed. There is a moderate amount of fear that the school will become financially responsible for getting treatment for the kids, which is not true. And the other thing is that it isn't in the common core. So because of the requirements, the academic requirements that are being placed on schools, if nobody is testing for this, they're not going to do it. Do you know if there was discussion during the creation of the Common Core about any of this? Did you, did you follow you know that? I was, no, you, I no. have no idea. I have no idea how that came about. Yeah. But I will tell you this. Every school does gym. Mm-hmm. It's not in the Common Core. Every school has lunch that's not in the Common Core. Mental health education is not an added program. Mental health education is infrastructure for schools. And in the same way that you don't stop school lunches because the cook retires, you don't not do this program because somebody moves to another school or because they're not going to be tested on it. It's infrastructure. If what we are talking about is the development of children's minds, how, in fact, can we teach them if they are ill? That's an excellent point. Talk a little bit about talk therapy for kids. Okay. One of the, one of the things in this program, and, and we are revising it, the program is three to five days in three to five classroom periods, preferably in health, but it could go into other programs. Um, and, and now we're going to be doing two years um, as seventh and eighth grade or whatever okay. school, what they decide. We teach children 
One, that these are brain disorders. Secondly, that they are treatable. Thirdly, that they are doing, it is not a matter of, I can handle this myself. If you go to the counselor and talk to your counselor, you are, in fact, handling it. That is, that is the best way to get the help that you need. You are, you are taking responsibility for your own condition. And, um, and we make it very clear that, that the treatment works. You will feel better, Claire. That's what, that's what Claire ends her video with, is don't give up. If, if somebody doesn't pay attention to you, go to somebody else because you will get better. And so um, if the children are open to that and if they get this information early enough, there is no reason not to accept it. So they, they, it is before they have a lot of other problems, hopefully, um, and they're not coming, they're not self-medicating. We're trying to catch them on the cusp. So I think talk therapy can be very effective with children, and particularly cognitive behavioral therapy can be very effective with children. A big component of that is getting them to be skeptical of their thoughts and basing that on what is really uh, happening. I remember, I remember when Claire, uh, her first visit with her, she, was, she would become, when she was symptomatic, she would be very negative. And, um, and they, the th- therapist, you know, said to her, I'm hearing a lot of negative talk. And she says, you are not. And then she goes, oh. <laughs> and what they helped her to do was to frame things more positively to catch herself when she was doing that negative talk, thought, you know, talk. She's now 30, uh, she's 32. Oh, I'm sorry, Fred said 34. <laughs> she's 34, mm-hmm. and um, she still catches herself. And she go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I phrased that badly. So, you know, I think that that can be, just that, just learning to think more positively about yourself can be, and the, and the way you do things can be really, really helpful for, mm-hmm. for children. And if they learn it young, oh, my gosh. And there are so many reasons to diagnose kids when they are young, so many reasons. You can, you can help them understand the illness. You can help them learn to take their medications. You can help them develop a, you know, a treatment plan to understand when they need to see their doctor again. Once they turn 18, you can't do anything except mm-hmm. pay the bill. And also, I would think that you could really help them in how they talk with their friends and teachers Absolutely. and moving forward, going to college, if they're going to be open. How was, it sounds like Claire was unique in wanting to be very open. Um, Claire was blessed that her dad was already open. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked her, I said, when she was an adult, I said, um, you know, is there anything that we did when you were children that you wish we had not done? And she said, I wish I had known there was a stigma attached to this. She says, I just told everybody because I didn't know that there was a stigma attached. But the truth is, when, when we teach children, we teach them there is no stigma to this. We teach them that they can, in fact, talk about it. And in the Red Flags program, we actually give them the words. Mm-hmm. These are things you can say. But, that, but it wouldn't be fair to them to say there's no stigma because then, like Claire was saying, they actually they should know that there could be repercussions being open. They, could, they should know that, but they then understand it's not something wrong with them 
because children internalize the response that they get when when stigma when you know when they see stigma or encounter it they think it's deserved and we teach them it is not deserved there's something that that stigma is ignorance no that's a great point we just heard tom engels who is the director for nimh national institute of mental health and um he was speaking at a national conference and what he said he was talking about where we are now in the progress that we're making on mental health and treatment and all of this. And he said, what, and he was not real, real hopeful in terms of, you know, how it compares to what we do with other illnesses. It's, mm-hmm. The work is very slow. It's underfunded. It's, but he said, what we do know is that these are childhood onset disorders. And that's a quote. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, if, and I asked him this question, If we know that these things begin in childhood, they may not become full-blown until someone is an adult, but they begin in childhood. And if we know things to watch for, why are we not doing more public education? And he said, yeah, we should be. Mm. Oh, gosh. I want to end on red flags. How did you get parents? Would they actually come to the school or you'd send something home? Mm-hmm. We have material for parents that goes home. One of the really, I, I think, wonderful things in, as part of this program is that it's video-based, so we have two videos. And um, they can take the video and, get, and run it on the local cable television mm-hmm. so parents can see the video. And, um, and then we have a take-home thing that the child can do with their parent that, you know, some of the common, you know, what are symptoms and, and uh, a little bit about stigma and whatever. But then the last two questions I just love. One is for the uh, child, uh, the parent to ask the child if you thought that you or some, one of your friends had these symptoms, what would you do? And the and then there's room for that answer. And then for the child to ask the parent, if I told you that I or one of my friends were experiencing these symptoms, what would you do? And what it does is that it opens the door for them to talk about these things. Well, that's incredibly powerful. And how do we get it to all school districts? Any school can do it. Um, it would be helpful to have training, but it's, it's pretty much self-evident. Um, and they can go on the website, learn how to be a red flag school, and contact us. It's redflagsplural.org. Thank you so much, Penny. Thanks, Delaney. You've been listening to Finding Mental Health. If you're interested in learning more about the guest on our show and about our work in mental health, please visit FindingMentalHealth.com. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and to share this podcast with your friends. I want to thank our podcast team, production consultant, Josh McNichols, production assistant, Selena Kariva, audio engineer, CJ Lazenby, and music by Grand Hallway through Jack Straw's artist program. <laughs>